Well, an hour less sleep last night means something exciting. It means that we'll have warm weather in about three months. But what it really means is that baseball season is almost here. And I, baseball is my favorite sport by far. And this year is going to be fascinating. There's a number of rule changes going on in, in Major League Baseball. They're all meant to speed up the game. And it's going to be exciting to see what happens. So I'm really excited about baseball season. But I have always loved baseball. I'm a, I'm a sports fan, but baseball has always been my, uh, the most favorite sport for, for me. And I remember the first time I had really, really, really good tickets. Just a couple rows behind home plate. Our family had secured these tickets. They were given to us by somebody who had these tickets all the time. And they gave them to our family to go to the game. It was a Friday night. I was with the girl that I was dating at the time. And we walk into the stadium. And there's always that special feeling if you're a baseball fan when you walk into a stadium. And if you're not a baseball fan right now, maybe the feeling you get when you walk in Hobby Lobby or something like that. I don't know. All right, but but you just there's just a feeling something is just it's it just hits you it's different it's exciting, and we had that feeling and and then we just kept going closer and closer to the action and we were just a couple rows behind home plate and it's just a fantastic and a fascinating experience. You can hear the players interact with the umpire. Uh, so if you have real little children, maybe not a good idea to take them that close because they mute a lot of that on TV. You, you could hear them. You could hear them yell at themselves and, and get mad at themselves. It was just an incredible experience sitting that close. It really changes so much of the game. And I just look over at the girl that I was dating at the time and we were holding hands on top of the on top of the seat rest, even though it was summer, and I'm sure our hands were sweaty, but you're still at that stage in the relationship where you're holding hands. And I looked at her and I said, isn't this incredible? She goes, it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. I knew right then we would never be together. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean it's all right? She said, it's, it's, it's a baseball game. I'm like, no, do you not understand? And so I started to explain to her everything she was having the privilege of, of seeing in these seats and how she should be completely impressed with, with how a batter has just a blink of an eye. I mean, literally a portion of a second to decide whether or not they're going to swing at a pitch when a pitcher releases a ball. And, and, and to see somebody throwing regularly in the upper 90s, just feet in front of you, and the pinpoint accuracy they have... And, and she just was, she didn't care. She didn't care. And I looked at her and I said, how can you be exposed to all of this and be unimpressed? It just fascinated me that we could be, you could be exposed to all of this and not be an instant baseball fan. I still don't understand it. This morning, as we continue our look at the final hours of Jesus' life before he went and paid the price for our sin, securing our salvation when he was crucified on the cross and would days later rise again. Today we're going to see something that should just blow our minds. As we're going to continue our look, last week we, we saw Jesus and his disciples, his followers. There were 11 who remained because we saw that Judas, it was known, was going to betray Jesus, and so he left he left the dinner early. And Jesus invited the 11 remaining disciples to go into the Garden of Gethsemane with him. He invited three, his closest friends. 
to pray intensely with him. And we saw as they all fell asleep multiple times. And today we, we pick up the story here. As we started our look at the cost of our salvation, we saw that one of the costs that we can never fully fathom is, is the cost of Jesus humbling himself to even come to our world. The incarnation, that Jesus was full divinity and full humanity on display. And we looked at Philippians chapter 2 and we saw just how Jesus humbled himself, that he could come to live a life like we live and understand the pain and understand all of the emotions and all the things that we experience. And so we don't have a distant God. We don't serve some distant deity, but we have a personal God who knows us and loves us and who can understand the pain that we go through, understand our thoughts, understand our emotions. And then we saw how all of us, all of us fail to measure up to the standard of our God, that God is the creator. So he gets to make the rules, and God's standard is simply perfection because he is holy and he is perfect, and none of us measure up to that. And the cost, the cost of our actions, the cost of our mistakes, the cost of our sin is death, but Jesus paid that price for us, and then we saw that he paid that price in our place so that when we place our faith and our trust in what Jesus has done for us, it's nothing we can buy, it's nothing we can earn, it's nothing we can deserve, but when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and accept the free gift of salvation that he offers to us, he has paid the price for our mistakes. He has paid the price for our sin. And then we started to look at, at the events of how Jesus did that, and that's where we pick up today. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can download and install from whatever app store you utilize on your device. And once you have it installed on your device, there's a feature within the Bible app called Events, and there you can either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201, and Lakeside Community Church will pop up, and you can follow along with us that way. You can take notes, underline things digitally. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're going to continue to be in the New Testament book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. We're going to start in just a minute in verse 47, Matthew chapter 26, verse 47 this morning. And if you're joining us via the stream, thanks so much for joining us this morning. The verses will be available for you on the screen below as we continue our look at the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus. While he was still speaking, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great, a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now Judas, as we talked about last week, was one of the disciples. In fact, he was a very trusted disciple. He was the disciple who was in charge of the finances. General life tip, general life lesson, put somebody in charge of the money that you trust. I mean, it's just a general principle. Not a good idea to say, hey, they're really shady. I'll trust them with all my money. All right, it's, it's not a good idea. And so that was, that's just common sense, and that was prevalent at that time as well. So Judas was really trusted. He was really trusted amongst the other disciples. He was the one who ultimately it was revealed at that dinner would betray Jesus, and he left. And now we fast forward to where we picked up last week in the garden. Jesus is still speaking, letting the disciples know all that's about to come, and Judas arrives. Judas arrives, and with him there's a great crowd. 
with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the religious rulers of the time, the elders of the people who were all threatened because of how Jesus spoke, because of what Jesus because of what Jesus did, because Jesus was God, and because Jesus looked differently than they thought he would look. They had an idea of how the Messiah would come. And they missed so much of who God really is. And they couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the one who was prophesied about thousands of years in advance that Jesus was the one and they couldn't wrap their minds around that fact and Judas unites with them because they offered him a sum of money and I can't even begin to to wrap my mind around this all all that Judas had seen the miracles the teaching the power all that Judas had gotten a front row seat for, all that we would die to be able to get a glimpse of, all that we would just love to just, just one of the miracles, just see one of the miracles that Jesus did, or just have one dinner with Jesus, or, or just, just even a glimpse, just be a, a member of the crowd hearing Jesus teach. And Judas had a front row seat of all of that for three years, a front row seat somebody who, who got to see all of these things and here he is for some silver he unites with people who don't understand the message of Jesus and they send out an army and there's Judas locking arms with the army coming out to get Jesus Verse 48 says, now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And we go from Judas, one of the 12, in verse 47, to now Judas, the betrayer. He doesn't even mention his, Matthew doesn't even mention his name here. So now the betrayer. Now the betrayer known by his actions, known by his actions. First, he was known as one of the 12, and now and forevermore, he's known as the betrayer. And the sign that he picks is a kiss. That he would go and he would kiss Jesus. And verse 49 tells us he did exactly that. And he, Judas, came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Everything he'd seen. All the teaching. All the miracles. All the conversations. And we arrive at this point. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Now, I don't know the tone in Jesus' voice. 
I can imagine what my tone would be. And so I can't say this with certainty. But it is not lost on me that Matthew and the other gospel writers refer to Judas as the betrayer. And Jesus still calls him friend. I don't know the tone in Jesus' voice. But I can't help but think that this is yet another glimpse of the heart of our Savior. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was the most sarcastic friend that has ever been spoken in all of history. But here's what I know. That throughout Scripture, we're given glimpses and we're told that the heartbeat of God is that every single one of us, every single person, would be reconciled to him. That God wants no one to be stuck in their sin. God, God delights in no one perishing. That even someone who could have a front row seat, if I'm right, could have a front row seat in the ministry of Jesus for three years and betray him, God would still have a heart of redemption for that person. Judas kissed him. Jesus replies, friend, do what you came to do. And the crowd comes up and they laid hands on Jesus and they seized him. They start to assault him. They arrest him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Those are my people. Like, those are the people I want in my camp. Like, you come to, you come to arrest me? We're going we're gonna to bring out our swords. And, and Matthew doesn't tell us this. John does. It's Peter. Of course it is. It's Peter. Peter, Peter has just said, Lord, I will, I will die for you. And in here, he puts his money where his mouth is. He pulls out his sword, and, and he strikes the servant of the high priest. Now, that part I love. The part I don't get is he cut off his ear. Like, maybe he wasn't the best with the sword. You know, just saying. Maybe, maybe because it was a soldier, he was really good at dodging. I don't know. But, but the ears swiped off. I'm just saying, though, if, if I have to pick... If I have to pick people that are in my camp, I'm like, yeah, I, I want somebody that's willing to, willing to fight. Absolutely. Pull, pull out that sword and let's cut off some people's ears. And Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. I'd be like, that a boy, Peter. I mean, let's work on the aim a little bit. Got a long way to go, but yeah. And Jesus does just the opposite. He says, Peter, put the sword away. Put the sword away. Anybody who takes the sword, 
they're going to die by the sword. Especially if you're trying to kill somebody and you cut their ear off. You do not have good odds when you got that sword. And then Jesus says this. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Now, number one, that's, that's impressive no matter what. But when we really understand this idea of angels, it's not like a, a, a little cupid in a, in a diaper with some wings and a, you know, a halo. It's, it's not a middle-aged white woman who sings at the end of every episode like Touched by an Angel in the late 1990s on CBS on Saturday nights. Sorry, I'm still processing through that apparently. But, but a legion, a legion was 6,000. A legion was 6,000 soldiers. And Jesus says here, 12 legions. So Jesus says, in an instant, I could call out to my father. And we could have 72,000 angels here like that. Like that. Again, this is the spiritual realm. And so, so much of what happens in the spiritual realm, because it's unseen, we just kind of distantly place it in the back part of our minds, and we don't give it much thought. So, in, in life sometimes, and when we see the obstacles, we see the battles, we feel like, it's on me. I've got to fight this. We're pulling out our sword. And Jesus is saying, I got this one. You're going to cut somebody's ear off. Put the sword away. Like, if it's God's will, in an instant, I could get 72,000 angels out here. Oh, and just to give you a little more context, 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, we're not going to go there. But just to give you a little more context, in 2 Kings 19, verse 35, we're told that one angel killed 185,000 people in one night. One, 185,000 people in one night. Jesus says, Peter, in an instant, I could have 72,000 angels here. An army you can't even fathom. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. Peter, put your sword away. This isn't outside of my control. I'm still God. I'm still in control. I've still got this. This is what I came to do. If your world is spiraling, if life seemingly is something you don't even recognize, if you've just gotten the, the news that you were fearing, and it seems like there's no hope, I just want to remind you, 
God's still in control. God is still in control. And the news that wrecks your world and the news that surprises you and the news that you never saw coming until it's here and now it's here and you don't know what to do, that news does not surprise God. And in an instant, God could fix it. God could change it. But the hard part about faith is the times he doesn't. The hard part about faith is knowing that in an instant, God could snap his fingers and fix all my problems. God could snap his fingers and cure me. But he's chosen not. When you find yourself there, the questions start to come through your mind. And the temptation comes. Because it feels sometimes like God isn't working. And it seems like God's distant and he doesn't care. And so the temptation sometimes is we're just going to grab the sword. And we're going to attack this head on. Sometimes all we manage to do is slice off someone's ear. And sometimes what's really difficult for us to understand is that the plans of God aren't always things that we see or understand. Jesus understood what he was about to do. Now, make no mistake, it was not pleasant, as we saw last week. Jesus prayed, God, if there's another way, let's do it that way. It doesn't mean when you experience something in life, you have to put on a, a fake smile and just say, oh, this is, this is great because it's God's plan. No, sometimes God's plan for our life isn't going to feel very good, and it's okay to admit that and to process through that, and to pray through that. But we still have to remember that God is in control, and he has a plan, and he has a purpose. And Jesus says, no, this is what I came to do. And at that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out as against a robber with swords and with clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all of this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples left him and fled. Judas wasn't the only one who was unimpressed by what he saw. 
Jesus turns to the mob that has come out to arrest him, and he says, really, all this? All this for me? You had multiple opportunities to arrest me. You had multiple opportunities to hear what I taught. To change your life. I I just want to encourage you. Some of you are really frustrated right now. Because that person that's in your life, maybe it's a child or a grandchild or a, a co-worker, maybe it's someone else. But there's that person in your life who's just seemingly so unreceptive, seemingly so unreceptive to what, to what God has done in your life. And, and you're frustrated. You're frustrated because you know the difference that it's made in your life. You've seen the difference and you desperately want that person to experience what you've experienced. And for the life of you, as you talk with them over the difference that God has made in your life, over the changes that God has has facilitated in your life, over the difference in how you feel and the way that you live, it seems like it just falls on deaf ears. And you're at that point where you're just frustrated. This is the point I just want to remind you It is not your job to convert anyone. The work of conversion belongs to God. What we have been called to do is we have been called to be people to live a life of love. We have been called to always be ready to give an account for the reason that we have hope. So we've been called to share our story. We've been called to tell people about the hope of Jesus. We've been called to share the love of Christ with people. But the work of conversion isn't dependent upon us. And so if you find yourself there and you're just frustrated because time and time again, you've shared with somebody the hope of Jesus, and it seems like it's fallen on deaf ears, and it seems like they're not doing anything about it. Well, I just want to encourage you that there was an entire crowd of people who listened to Jesus teach. Over and over again. And they chose not to respond to God. And I don't know about your story, and I don't know about your approach, but I'm fairly certain in saying that you're probably not a better communicator in faith than Jesus was. So I want to encourage you, stop holding yourself up to a standard that God's not holding you up to. Delight in the opportunities that you have to share the love of Jesus with people. Delight in the opportunities that you have to share the story of the difference that God has made in your life. But recognize that's what you're accountable to do. That's what you've been called to do. And the results aren't up to you. Jesus says, you could have have arrested me when you heard me teach in the temple. You didn't. But all this, all of this has taken place. Why? For the scriptures to be fulfilled. And this is the part that the mob and the religious rulers missed. That the Messiah would come to deliver his people. That the greatest need that his people had in deliverance 
was not in a different government. It was a problem that we all have. And that was to deal with their sin. That was to deal with their imperfection. That the Old Testament tells us that the Messiah would come. But he would be a suffering servant. They miss that part. And so they come, they assault Jesus, they arrest him. End part of verse 56, I just want to read again. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Maybe you feel like you've disappointed God. The regrets, the choices, the decisions that just keep playing over and over and over again in your mind. Because you ran. You ran hard and you ran far. And you've got the list. You have made some mistakes. There is some regret. You are not alone. And in the same way that Jesus would welcome back all 11 of these disciples, your story is not over. And God is not done with you. I don't know where you went. I don't know what you've done. But I know this. You are never too far gone. You can never escape the love of God. There might be time today. You just recognize. I'm sick of running. And I just need to put the sword away because I want to do something. But you're probably just going to cut somebody's ear off. It's just time to put it away. And to recognize that God is still in your story. Even the parts you don't necessarily like. And in an instant, in an instant, he could change everything about your frustrations. In an instant, he could change everything about your circumstances. And I don't know why he hasn't. And that's the hard part about faith. If you find yourself there, I just want to encourage you that God has a purpose and God has a plan. That he loves you, even when you've disappointed him. My hope and my prayer is that we will rest in that love. That we'll know when it's time to just let go.
And we'll ask God to really work. Even in the hard stuff, even in the stuff we really don't like. We would just invite God in to be glorified. Even in that. God, I pray that we would be people that as we follow you, would be quick to rely on you. I pray that we would be people that would put the swords away. God, I, I pray for the person here who feels defeated, who's gotten bad news, who feels like it's, it's too much, who feels like they can't. Pray, God, that you would remind them of your power. And I, I pray if there's some way you could just give them a glimpse of what you're up to and what you're going to do, that you'd give them that glimpse. Or if there's another way, God, encourage their hearts. I pray for the person who's run, and they've run far, and they've run hard. Pray, God, that they would recognize and they would realize that they can't outrun your love. So, God, I pray they'd stop trying. And they would recognize and realize just how much you love them. I pray for the person that's watching this, person that's here who's never just given their life to you, Jesus. They've never experienced that. And I pray today would be the day. There'd be no more waiting. God, we ask you to be glorified in us. Use us for your glory. Help us when we don't see what you're up to. We still trust in you. Meet us there. And carry us through our weeks. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.